Good afternoon, everyone. I want to welcome you all to Normie CE Training. This is where you get your Normie recertification credits for yearly recertification. I want to welcome you all. I want to welcome all of our admin people starting to pop into the room here. I see a bunch of them coming in tonight. This is good. Glad to see that. And I want to welcome everybody on all the other platforms that are here tonight. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. Restream, DLive, Twitter, we're all over the place. So for all of you watching on those other platforms, welcome, and I'm glad to see you here. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, at the end of our session, we will be turning off the live feed to all the social media platforms for any of you Normie members that want to continue on with the special announcements that we will have. You will have to be in our Zoom room, which is impact.normie.org and you have to be an active member to get in there. So just a heads up, uh, you don't wanna miss out on anything. So let me see, uh, we got everybody in the room here. Uh, I know Doug, you're out and about. So I wanna send this over to you real quick. So I know you had a few announcements you want to make while the internet's holding out for you. So go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, thank you. I'm actually in Pecan Grove uh, RV camp here in uh, Lake Village, Arkansas, right on Highway 65, headed back to um, Louisiana after our trip to Texas last week, which was really, really cool. I'm looking forward to sharing with you some of the exciting things we did out there. We did two case studies, one on Thursday, one on Friday. We were in Dallas on Thursday, Fort Worth on Friday, and uh, doing some case studies on mycotoxin testing. So really excited about that. But um, I'm really excited to tell you that we're looking forward to our first Texas class, Certified Mold Remediation uh, Contractor class. It's the initial training. That's a five-day class, so it's 40 hours. But I was able to arrange the venue uh, at Pure Clean in Frisco, Texas. You'll be seeing that on the website probably within the next day or so. Uh, but that's a five-day class. But here's the exciting thing about this particular class. Well, let me tell you the dates first. It's August 28th through September 1st. And the reason we're telling you this right now is because there are only 12 seats available. It's a very small classroom. They've got a large warehouse area where we're gonna be doing our hands-on training, but it's a relatively small classroom. We don't want it crowded. And so there are only 12 people that we're gonna be able to train in this particular class. If we sell it out, which I think is probably highly likely, then we'll go ahead and set up another class probably within a couple of weeks after that particular class. But that class, the exciting thing about that class is, as you know, Texas has one of the most strict requirements for licensure, 40 hours compared to the other training that's uh, four days or three days. Our typical initial training is a three-day class. So this five-day class is a really high-level training compared to a lot of the other initial licensing classes. So what we're doing on this class is that if you come to this class, you'll be able to qualify for any of the states that have licensing except New York and then all of the non-licensing states. So in one class, that five-day class, you could set for exams you have to take a short module on the licensing law for each state, but you could get a license for Texas, Louisiana, District of Columbia, Florida, or all of the non-licensing states. Uh, the only one that it doesn't qualify for is New York, and I'd love to tell you why, but that's a long story. Uh, anyway, it's going to be a great, uh, great opportunity for you to get licensed. If you need a license uh, in any of those states, or if you just want a license, DC license is incredibly easy to get. And if you're in a non-licensing state, you might want a DC license just to be able to tell your competition that you've got a license in a state that requires it. So that's going to be August 28th through September 1st. And I just wanted to share that information with you. Thank you, Doug. And I know you're traveling, and we're going to be talking about the uh, Normie Pro Environmental Task Force tonight. And that's kind of part of what you're traveling with today. Uh, any chance you can swing a camera around or get Norma on the screen? <laughs> for sure. For sure. As most of you know, a year and a half ago, or almost two years ago now, we purchased a motorhome, and we uh, affectionately call her Norma. And I'll just show you. She's parked right over here. That's her right there. And I'm taking her back to Louisiana, where we've got a place where we can store 
her inside and get her ready for uh, some major event that might happen where we can go out and start giving information out to the public. Uh, we're not interested in doing disaster recovery work. What we're interested in is going into the field and being able to give folks information they need about uh, cleaning for health, uh, for the insurance uh, needs that they might have, what FEMA can and can't do for them, uh, those sorts of things, maybe even provide, we've got a command center so we can provide an opportunity for them to charge their phones if they need to. We'll have phones there. So if they may want to make some phone calls to some friends, anyway, it's just going to be a great opportunity for us to help folks that are in need. And so that's why I'm in Pecan Grove RV in Lake Village. I'm on my way back to, uh, to Louisiana. All taking right. uh, Norma. What happened to the clothes you wore? All right, very good. We today? got somebody's mic on someplace. I'm not quite sure whose that is. Then the only other thing I wanted to share is I didn't want anybody to forget about the class uh, in two weeks, three weeks in Fort Lauderdale uh, with the uh, CMA, CMR class, June 6th through the, the 8th. And then also, if you'll go to training.normie.org, no. Sorry. If you go to events.normie.org, you'll see the cleaning for health schedule. And we want to encourage everybody to take that OSHA training that we've been working on. Absolutely free class. Gavin does a phenomenal job. Uh, does he have the stories or what? <laughs> so, great, great to have. I know more about Ebola than I ever wanted to know, I can tell you. But uh, anyway, it's a great class. It's a free three-hour training. And I just want to highly encourage all of you Normie members to look at that schedule and, and come by sunrise and take advantage of that. Looks like we may be having some classes in North Carolina as well. So a uh, lot going on. Well, thank you, Doug. And I appreciate you uh, pulling over at the rest stop there so you can get on the call with us. <laughs> we appreciate I'm spending that. the night and it's not a rest stop. Well, you know what I meant. <laughs> it looks cozy. All right. Well, this is, I think, a good segue to get into what we're going to be talking about tonight. I, I just want to acknowledge, you know, we have quite a few of our staff members here tonight. Um, Roger just jumped off the screen. Jenner's here. Uh, Tim is here. Mike is here. And we have Gavin in the room from uh, ISSA and GBAC, who's going to be helping us out here tonight with some of the uh, talk that we're going to have, because he's very familiar with what we're doing. And We've been in close contact for a while now, going over some of the particulars about what we're trying to do with the task force and with his cleaning for health and all the other things that uh, come together. So with that said, I think we should get started here. And Doug, you may want to just check me on the dates, but I believe the uh, task force uh, came into existence in 2014. I think that's right. Because <clears throat> I know we had uh, our phone systems were set up then for a regional FEMA calling which I'll talk about in a little bit, but we started back in 2014 and we were involved in quite a few different projects back then, going back to even Hurricane Sandy, which is what hit the uh, Northeast, uh, New York, New Jersey, pretty devastating up here. Not as powerful as a lot of the storms that hit the South, but we are definitely not prepared for storms of any size up in the Northeast. I mean, there's parts of New Jersey where I'm from where almost 60% of the area is either asphalt or cement. There's no place for water to go. So even small storms can be devastating up here. So we were involved with um, a lot of what they call long-term recovery groups, where we met with the health department, the state health agencies. We were out to different community uh, areas and different parts that were really affected. I was uh, actually, I was involved with three different counties with the recovery groups. So we actually went and we spoke and we talked and we helped people out. Uh, just absolutely amazing uh, the things that we learned about how as prepared people are when you take it off of a tabletop prep and you put it out in the real world, how much of it doesn't really work. I mean, they were all excited talking about um, some company donated a warehouse filled with mattresses for people that had lost places even to sleep. And they took all these mattresses in and stored them in a metal building non-conditioned they were no longer usable the intention was good but it was a lesson learned you can't store things in a moldy environment so in any case these are the lessons that were learned that uh, we were able to help out with correcting them going forward uh other things that we did uh we did a lot of work with military families we were approached by some of our active members that were working with 
uh, military families that were really, really struggling. And as a 501c3 uh, nonprofit public charity, which is what the task force is, we were able to take in donations and help provide them with equipment, technology, and support to help improve their living conditions. So that was uh, definitely a feel-good thing for us, and it and absolutely helped them. They were uh, kind of stuck and didn't have any place to go. So those are some of the things that we get involved with. Unfortunately, a few years ago, I'm sure you've all heard, unless you've really been hiding under those rocks, about something called COVID that kind of hit the world and shut down a lot of programs that were out there trying to do good because of social distancing and not being able to be in any kind of groups or gather. So the task force kind of took a back seat for a little while, basically because it had to. And we just kept moving on in the background, meaning we started striking up alliances. Gavin's here uh, as one of our strong alliances with uh, GBAC, the uh, Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council and ISSA. Great supporters of us, uh, Normie and the uh, Environmental Task Force, we're big supporters of them, and uh, they are helping out with a lot of our training and grant work. Uh, Gavin, I'll have you in in a moment. Just give me one second. Just want to get through one or two more things. So the program is on hold, but we haven't stopped. And uh, we've gotten to the point now as we approach the 2023 hurricane season, it's time to really start stretching our wings with uh, being available, seeing what resources are still going to be available from what we had, and to take on new people. There are a ton of people that we have trained over the last several years since COVID hit, and we haven't really been able to give them the opportunity to take part in the task force. That is what we're talking about tonight. And for those of you not familiar with Normie or just hearing about us or the task force for the first time, you are more than welcome to ask for information or to hopefully join up. And we're talking about no cost here. So, you know, this is all part of being a Normie member. You get to be part of this task force uh, once you meet certain requirements with free training and things like that. We want the best trained and educated people out there in this industry. And the restrictions that we put on the task force are because of the unique things that happen in man-made and natural disasters. Whatever you've learned, whatever you've experienced working in this industry, two years, 10 years, 20 years, you are not prepared for the disaster side of what we do. You're dealing with federal, state, and county government entities. You're dealing with processes that are designed to work with one and two man operations, up to 10,000 firefighters jumping into a hot fire zone out in California. The command control, the organization is all the same, just on different scales. That's what we want all of the people involved in our task force to be familiar with for their safety and the people around them. So with that said, Gavin, I know, I know you're sitting there and I know you've been involved with uh, the ICS system, which is Incident Command System and NIMS, which is the National Information Management System. It's all under FEMA. You know, you have any kind of quick take on that before we kind of really get into this? Chainsaws. Plans. Yeah. Let's yeah. start with, so it's really interesting because, you know, I, my background is 12 years in the military. And when they say to you in the military, we want a volunteer who can ride a motorbike, it's not because they've got a motorbike. They just want to volunteer. So I always, used, I, could, I, never, I could never ride a motorbike, but I've always volunteered to ride the motorbike because it got me into places. Um, when you, you look at the emergency management and the um, disaster response systems here in the US, if there's one thing I would recommend everyone to do, and this is, I've, I've never paid for this, but this is what I've done, you know, over the last 30 years, I went and got my chainsaw license. And the reason I did that, Lance, was it's like, it was like volunteering. Whenever they do a tabletop exercise or they do a drill or they, they want someone to deploy, and, and I was a doctor, they went, gosh, have we got any guys who can use a chainsaw? And I went, yeah, I've got my chainsaw license. So I got to go to all these disasters on the premise that I was going to use a chainsaw, which I never did, because I had a chainsaw license. And it sort of sort of it segues nicely into what we're talking about. There are things you can do for no money or low cost to become part of the emergency management disaster response community. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm going to get into that in a few minutes where I'm going to talk about some of the basic requirements of ICS uh, and uh, NIMS, which is really the whole framework of, of how all of this starts, exactly what you're talking about. But before we get into that, some of the other things that you bring to the table here are access to grants. I mean, right now you're providing training for the essential personnel. Uh, we have grants from other companies, which we'll talk about too in a little bit, you know, for more training. It's all about training and we want to get the best training to all of our members, normie members, normie task force members, as, as much of it as possible is free. And that's the majority of this emergency management stuff. And I'm not saying let's all go run and do emergency management. But if you're going to work in any of these zones as a remediator, assessor, uh, a drying company, a home inspector, you need to know the rules. You need to know the boundaries and the safety things that happen in those environments. Uh, you don't just walk in and say, okay, I'm here. They're going to send you 10 miles away to meet with a, a branch organization that's going to coordinate what's going on at that scene. And if you don't have the right credentials, you're not going back there. They're going to stop you. You're not going to be allowed into these areas. They need to keep them under control for safety at the very least, and then security and everything else. So uh, with that, you bring the whole training about essential personnel and being you're the senior director of GBAC, the Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council. That opens up a whole nother area of things that you are able to help us deal with from uh, you know infectious outbreaks, to uh, just knowing how to decon, you know, ambulances and vehicles and work trucks. I mean, that's a whole nother side to this industry that people really don't train on. No, it's, it's, you've got a really good point there, Lance. Um, for the years that I've done emergency management, or what I would say more precisely disaster medicine response, uh, before the disaster occurs, you've got to get on the list. So whether it's a national deployment to a state or it's an international deployment, when we sit there and we know we're about to deploy, we go down and go, who do we know? Who's, who, who does this? Who does that? Hang on, I need one of these. And you, and that short list is, is people who are on the list. So there is a way to get on the list um, where you live locally, where you work, um, through your emergency management agency. Uh, a lot of communities have what's called the, um, the CERT, the Community Emergency Response Team, which is a volunteer of just local folks who get together and they'll, they'll, they'll practice, they'll drill, they'll talk about emergency, but that gets you on the list. Uh, you can actually just reach out to the local emergency management agency where you live and ask, what do I need to know? How do I get on the list? And it is, it's called the list. Um, so, you know, and, 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 I'll, and I'll tell you why, Lance, and if you sort of live in the world that I live in, I've just got to notice now that... Um, uh, Guam is a territory of the US. We have an Air Force base there, very important Air Force base. We have two naval bases. We have the, Gar the Guam National Guard. Guam is about to get hit tonight at nine o'clock with a super typhoon, you know, category five hurricane. Uh, it's called Mawar, M-A-W-A-R. It is the strongest storm that we have seen since 1962 in that region. And when a similar storm hit Guam in 1962, it wiped out over 95% of the buildings. And then a, then a storm that wasn't as strong hit in 2002. And if I just check my notes here from this morning's briefing, uh, it did. Uh, it was it was 144 mile per hour winds, and it caused 700 million dollars of damage in Guam. The storm that's expected to hit tonight, its last measurement was over was 155 miles per hour. Um, it's we're calling for a storm surge of 25 feet and 20 inches of rain on Guam tonight. Mm -hmm. And they're the sort of situations we have addressed right now. Think about what do we need? Okay, we know the military's there, but they're going to be destroyed. Um, they're going to be devastated. They're going to be they're going to be victims of the storm. What will the US be deploying tomorrow morning after the storm passes? And what things do we need? And a lot of that comes down to discussions that we've had uh, with Doug and yourself about how we can do much better. Uh, if we look at sort of the Hurricane Ian situation, and I know Doug and I were texting like crazy at all hours of the night going, did the CDC just say use bleach? Because we don't do that. And so it's really important that we look at the science, the evidence that we have within our industry, and we bring those best practices by being on the team, making the list. 
You know, you're you're absolutely right. And you mentioned tabletops before, and that's what I was talking about. You know, the tabletops are where the basics come from. But then from there, when you get out into the field, you need people from all different vocations to look at what's really going on and say, wait a minute, you can't do that. It doesn't make sense in the real world. But that's the whole point of us getting all these people with all these specialty talents. But everybody still needs the same basic framework. Um, the classes that we were talking about from ICS, uh, the basic classes that are uh, recommended are ICS 100, 200, 700, and possibly 800. And what they are, um, 100 is what's called intro to incident command. Now, you're talking about a Cat 5 plus hurricane hitting Guam. It's a massive, devastating event. But the same principles and concepts that are going to be deployed there already that are being deployed there or what would happen for a local brook overflowing its banks and flooding a neighborhood just on a smaller scale yeah so th this is a good point all of my all of my students um uh, at penn state where i teach um disaster medicine public health preparedness for both natural disasters and terrorist emergencies at penn state college of medicine i tell them if you want to make the list there are three courses you must do that's ICS 100, ICS 700, which the you know, ICS 100 is the introduction to the incident command system. And interesting, everyone should understand, Lance, the incident command system is something that was invented in the US. And it was invented by, you know, through the forest fires back in the 70s. And we have taken that system of decision making, that system of allocating um, resources that are limited, those, you know, if space, staff, and, and stuff to make it work in a disaster. I see it's about a two hour course. I'm going to talk about how to, how to really do these courses properly. ICS 700 is the National Incident Management System, which will, when you make the team, you'll hear this acronym NIMS. It's the National Incident Management System. That's about a three and a half hour course. And ICS 800 is the National Response Framework, which is the NRF. You must know the National Response Framework just at that high 50,000 foot level. And then ICS 200, I would do fourth. I would do 100, 700, 800. And then the fourth course I would do, I would go back and do ICS 200 because you now understand what's going on when, because ICS 200 covers basic incident command systems for initial responses. But each of these courses are freelance and they give you a certificate. And yeah, I often- Exactly. Yeah, and, and that's, that's all about credentialing. That, yeah. That's what I was talking about before. Getting into these zones, you need these credentials to be able to work in these zones, even to go to them. Yes. Yeah, so, so when people come to me and say, oh, I want to come with you, Gavin, on the next tornado, hurricane, ice storm, forest fire. And I'll go, have you got the certificates before I even ask for their name? You know, have you got the, if you've got the certificates, at least I can start having a, um, a, a an intellectual conversation with them. About what are your skill sets? What are your core companies? What can you do? What can't you do? How, you know, do you go camping? Because I don't want this to be the first you know, time that you find yourself in an austere environment, you complain to me, there's no you're not going to have a shower for three or four days because that's what it is, or, the, or there's not enough food because that's what it is. It's 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 understanding whether they can can survive in an austere environment. So you do those courses, and that really gets you to have that conversation um, with those that deploy emergency management agencies. Um, but I also want to add one more caveat to this, Lance, healthcare coalitions. Yeah. Healthcare coalitions are funded by the federal government uh, for example, in the state of Alabama, where I do a lot of work with tornadoes, there's 11 healthcare coalitions. Go and introduce yourself to the healthcare coalition coordinator at the regional or state level and just say, "These are my. this is what I do. How do I make the team? And it's not making the team to do the work because we all don't get paid. We get paid for what we do when we deploy. I get paid when I deploy. And I want to make sure that everyone is able to respond to disasters. I know we, we can do this as a volunteer um, situation, but I want you to be—I want to be part of your core business. I want you to be say, "Oh, I'm going to—you know—I know hurricane season's coming up. I'm going to train and practice and rehearse and get to know people. And when I deploy, I know that I'm going to be earning money to support my family. And it's really important that that part of that disaster response is not just based on doing it for nothing volunteers it's actually part of your core business structure of being a remediator restorer or, or, or just a professional cleaning uh, professional well that's one of the uh, big things about the way this whole program works with ics and nims that as they're deploying another port or spreading out resources another portion is already planning de-escalation 
and and it's all part of this dance that is done nationwide, even for regional operations about moving resources around. Uh, to give you a simple example, for those of you that have lived in uh, areas that have been hit by hurricanes and you lose power, well, if you're in Florida and you know a hurricane's coming, you're going to notice uh, utility trucks coming from all over the country and deploying in different areas ready to go in as soon as the storm's done. That all takes management and prep and plan. And it's not just, okay, guys, we're sending you 50 trucks. Where are those 50 trucks going to park? Where are the people going to sleep? Is there food for those people that are going to be there for two weeks? So this is all part of this management system. You can't just walk into a disaster and say, okay, I'm here. Because, you know, six hours later when you're hungry and there's nothing to eat for 50 miles around, that's all part of this planning and this, this management system. So I know Gavin had said about talking to your regional coordinators and things like that. That's what we're trying to do now is develop a system internally of who's interested, what kind of resources do we have, what kind of community outreach do we have, and organizations around us we can work with, like GBAC and ISSA. Uh, SWA is another one, the uh, Sustainable Workforce Alliance. They're also providing training for us under grants, free to our members uh, for um, uh, disaster workplace safety. You need to have certain training before you can even get into these areas. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried going into areas where they have the state police roadblocks. Stop, why are you here? Oh, I wanna go see what's going on. Turn around, go the other way. You know, unless you have a reason to be there and the training to be there, they're not letting you in. So like Gavin said, uh, he mentioned 100, 200, uh, 700, and 800. Absolutely agree. There are other trainings. Some of them do cost. I actually have three and 400. That's 24 hours of on-site training, much more in-depth, much more hands-on, tabletop planning, deployment of what you learn and all the other things. But there's all kinds of specialized training available, and we can get that for you, most of it through either grants or for free federal uh, assistance. And what's interesting, uh, Lance, is that the federal government has those courses for free and they're self-taught, self-learned. You know, but I don't do that. What I do with the government courses, I get people in a classroom or in a room, just somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, look, guys, ICS 100 is two hours. We're going to go through the subject matter together online because it's a free online course. You can download the resources and we're going to do it as a group. The only thing we're going to do individually is at the end, you've got to take this quiz. And if you take the quiz and you get 80%, you get a certificate. But the course, I will actually facilitate. So it's the same for 700 and 800. Uh, 700 is a three and a half hour course. 800 is a three hour course. I get people in the room saying, right, tonight we're going to go through this three hour course, ICS 800 on National Response Framework. And I'm going to walk you through it. I'll answer any questions. But right at the end, you'll, you'll get on to your login individually as yourselves to do the quiz so you get the certificate and the recognition. So I don't have that expectations that people should do this on a sad day or a Sunday or late at night. It's actually, we actually, as instructors and trainers and facilitators, and, and what we want to see people do better, we actually facilitate those training, those government-free trainings in, in an, a group environment so we can all discuss and learn from each other. Well, one of the things uh, I learned when I was in the three and 400, <clears throat> you see all the other people there that are in the room with you, and you see the massive amount of knowledge and experience of people that are interested in this and not always just in this category, just in other industries. But, hey, I need somebody that can fly a helicopter. Get Bob sitting over there. Look at that. He does that as a hobby. It, you know what it's like to grab those kinds of resources. And it's very difficult, but they're out there, you know. So, yeah, when I did when I did when I got did my chainsaw license. You know, imagine the guys I met and the girls and the ladies I met who, who were going for the people that I would never have contact with. And I sat down with a great group of folks talking about what motivated them to get involved in emergency management disaster response. And that's when I you know, did my 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 um, chainsaw license, which, again, anyone, if it, it just worked for me, just worked. you sit there at the back and they're not inviting you to the table. You go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got a chainsaw license, but I've never used it. I've never used a chainsaw. I just have a license. I, I don't know. I kind of visualize you with one of those leather masks on with the chainsaw. And uh, never mind. Well, no, no, it's good. Good. Because, yeah, I think, you know, if you're going to get into this work, you've got you've got to watch the Sharknado 
Yeah. Shows and 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 the best one is Sharknado version four, because that's where the Australian guy goes. Crikey, we're going to need more chainsaws. And I make my students watch that a thousand times because they just have to get into their head how important it is. You know, but you're talking about chainsaws and you get a disaster with hundreds or thousands of trees down. There's not enough chainsaws. There's not enough of anything. And that's He's, part of yeah. the planning. He, this is It's not just that. It's when you go into those buildings where you maybe are a store, you're a cleaner, you're just picking up, you know, the, the left, whatever's left after the storm. Um the chainsaw really comes in handy. There's you know, walls, drywalls down, uh, collapsed yeah. buildings, collapsed doorways, uh, garages, the walls, the whole lot. Yeah, it, it, it really has come in handy. But the point is, is that you, you show you your versatility, how you, that you're useful, you, you've got a few skills. Um, as, as you've correctly said, Lance, 100, 700, 800, I would start with that. I don't, then, I then at the fourth, I'd do 200. And then, but we do it as a group. We, we do all this learning as a group. But then we also can help facilitate, in, you know, um, uh, engagement with with those that make the decisions, um, both at the emergency management, both at the local uh, the local agency level, the state agency level, the federal government agency level, and then there's other organisations like the healthcare coalitions, which we want to get you plugged into as well. Um, and, and let alone, you know, the, the stuff that you and I talk about all the time, Lance, on on emergencies we do with both uh, law enforcement, with police, as well as fire, firefighters. And then suddenly they come and go, hey, Gavin, how do I clean this? And I went, it's your piece of equipment. Yeah, but we've never had to. It's never been this contaminated with whatever. Yeah. And I'm now, I now need some help on how to clean it so I can use it again tomorrow. You know, and that brings up the next piece of this. Because we will be working with these different entities and agencies, when they have problems on the more personal level, a very localized side, who are they going to go to for help? People that worked with them during these disasters. They're going to reach out to the assessor or the mold remediator or the drying company when something happens to their home. So it's all part of the exposure and people being familiar with who you are because of the type of work that you're doing with them. Um, I, think, you know, I, think, I think, too, on that, Lance, they don't. OK, let's be, let's be fair here. There are people within the community, within emergency management, that have never seen the equipment we use. Yeah. Yeah, the equipment we use is amazing. You know, we've got all this stuff that does that dries things. You know, uh, it, you know, we can remediate, we can re restore, um, but we also have testing equipment: thermal imaging, water moisture meters, uh, ATP. Um, you know, all, a lot of things that that no one has ever seen before. And there's tricks of the well, sort of best practices of what we do that we can bring the table going. Oh, didn't know that. <clears throat> yeah. You, you, before you pull down that whole wall, we can find out whether there's moisture in there or not and save you the work. Um, we can actually use science in the cleaning industry, in our industry, across all the different verticals that we that we work in, in a way that most emergency managers have never thought about this at all. Uh, because we, we, yep. we, we're trying, we know we, we're working with local Americans here at the local level, and if we can't help them, they're going to wait on insurance money that's going to take a very long time to come, or they're going to wait on a government or state grant, which will not be sufficient enough for them to survive on. So we want to install, ensure that when we respond, we respond based on evidence and science that we can help them rebuild, restore, recover in a way that's, that's that helps them. It saves money, saves lives. And, and this is an area of emergency management disaster response that I think is a, is a huge opportunity for all of us. Well, communications is a big problem, too. I mean, we've seen during major storms where, you know, towers go down, phone lines go down, communications out. One of the things that we look for on the task force is ham radio operators. You know, it's it's a basis for communications. And you're talking about technology changing. I just need to show you something. You can see this little tiny box. It's about the size of a piece of gum uh, or a, a package of gum. What do, you, what do you got there, Lance? This is an actual interface for ham radio that oh. just having this active, I can take a little $100 walkie-talkie and talk any place in the world because I have this in the room with me. You know, so the technology is out there to give us all kinds of resources to do stuff inexpensively, but people don't know about this stuff because there's so many niche markets and areas of interest uh, I'm a ham operator, but I have a small kid I travel with. I turn it on, and because I have this device in the room, I have international access to communications. 
I travel with, uh, Doug mentioned it earlier, Command Center. It's uh, providing Wi-Fi and Ethernet communications over cellular. You know, so it takes everything that we do to the next level. I was able to actually go live from the Experience Center because we had the Command Center with us, and we were able to do that. While in the next room over, there were 6,000 people using cell phones that just graduated from uh, Broward County College. So we had we brought it with us. We brought what we needed is the point. So you don't have to be the person that's going to go out into the disaster. We also have people that we will be bringing up on our phone systems. We did that in the past. Uh, if there's a problem in region two in the United States and we try to follow the FEMA regions, we may activate region three and four, you know, adjacent regions that are not affected by the problem to provide phone support and other coordination resources. Uh, I've had people from Florida call me and say, we can't get generators or drying equipment. Hang on, let me call my contact in Buffalo, New York. They had the stuff shipped the next day. And that's a really good point, Lance. The the number of disasters that I've deployed deployed to you know, in my career is it's it's a big number. But the 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 fact that we've tried in certain circumstances, um, especially when it comes to water damage, to rent procure equipment, and it's just blown our budgets. It's been unrealistic. Um, you know, it, we we are we the. The emergency management disaster response teams and capabilities have evolved so much. Um, if you go back to 9-11-2001, people just turned up to volunteer, and it was virtually after 9-11 and with all the volunteers that descended you know, into areas of uh, New York City, all with the best intentions in their heart. We said, well, without, gonna... without training. Yeah, 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 they're there because they had a car and they could drive some from somewhere. And then 2005 with Katrina and, and you know, Doug, you know, you guys, I've got a southern accent, but you guys probably lived it. Um, I only responded to it. So when I went down to, to New Orleans, um, again, volunteers just turned up out of the wazoo. People from everywhere turned up. And it wasn't. And, and so what we've tried to do and you, with these FEMA courses now, it's trying to control the volunteers and get some sort of formalization coordinate. So I, you know, so when I work with my students, the, the people I work with on deployments, those four courses that we talked about, they are the basic fund. That, that's how I can separate those that just volunteer because they've got good hearts, the, those that have volunteered that really know that we're going to an austere environment, it's going to be tough and there's going to be lots of work to do because they've done, they've taken the time to do at least 10 or 12 hours of a FEMA course. That helps us separate who we're going to take or who we're going to invite, because usually you have to be invited. Um, people do turn up. They still turn up today. It's just happened just recently. People turn up because they've got stuff and they think they're doing the right thing. And then it's then it's there's no coordination. So the idea is that, we've, that these courses have been used by FEMA and for many of us in emergency management to identify those that we'll bring and take and invite because they've got the four certificates. I don't know much else about your background, never met you before, but you're coming because you've got those four pieces of paper. That's what we're doing. That's our triage system right now um, in a lot of things that I do. Um, and it's just, and then again, but it's, you, you've, you've got seconds, um, you know, as a, you know, being a leader or decision maker in, in, in emergency response, I have virtually seconds to look at someone's credentials and go, Yes or no? Well, you know, it, it's lessons learned from all this stuff and techniques that you're taught. I mean, <clears throat> an example that, you know, we've talked over numerous times in some of the tabletops are uh, an, an example of a terrible bus accident, 40 people on a bus. You know, you show up as the first responders. The last question you ask is who's hurt? The first question you ask is who can walk? Otherwise, you have 40 people saying, I'm hurt. Now you have 40 patients. Who can walk? Come over here. Are you hurt? No. You stay here. If you're hurt, go over there. You know, next, who can't walk? You guys that can walk, go help them. You know, so now you're reassigning resources based on what you have. But it's all about skills that you learn how to coordinate all of that. And that's what this is all about. And we don't want to put anybody in harm's way. We don't want anybody creating a situation because they're not trained so it's imperative that people that want to be involved and we applaud you for that 
get this very basic training for starters. And we're trying to coordinate this all now and get you trained for free as part of the Normie Pro Task Force. And that's why we're talking, you know, and this goes for everybody, even out on the other social platforms right now. If you're not a Normie member, you're more than welcome, you know, to become part of our team. And that's what we're really looking for. I just want to mention a few other companies that we're working with. Uh, obviously, Best Living Systems has been involved with donating equipment that we've worked with with a lot of the military housing. Uh, the uh, Sustainable Workforce Alliance, they have grants and are helping us with training. GBAC with Gavin, always on call. Uh, I know when um, Ian came through Florida, they had over a thousand people they were able to deploy as a workforce, you know, to help out companies that just didn't have enough workers. They didn't have to be highly trained. They had to be able to load garbage bags, haul stuff away, but it was manpower. They were able to provide that. Uh, we work with Virtual PBX. It's a uh, phone system that we use and uh, we work closely with them for our uh, FEMA region type of calling. So these companies are out there and they're all very, interested in helping and being part of what we're doing. So I want to thank all of them publicly for that. Um, I just want to mention it now, and then we'll get back to you know a few of the other things. If anybody is listening and they're interested in becoming part of the task force and finding out more about the task force, I'm going to give you a phone number that you're going to send a text message to. And the text message you're going to send is join space EPF. The space is not the word space, it's just a space and letters. So it's J-O-I-N space E-T-F. And you're going to text that to 877-251-2296. And we will gather that information and reach out to you with more information. Doug, I see you popped in the room there for a moment. I did. Yeah, I did. I just wanted to... Uh say just a, a moment about what we're going to be doing at the experience uh, because we're tr we're going to actually be building some training around the task force. Uh, Norma will be there hopefully we're, we're looking at uh, actually driving her into Caesars Forum and having her as part of our booth um, so that we can set it up as we would in a disaster. Uh, recovery situation. And so we're going to be talking more about this uh, ICS training. Uh, Dan asked a great question in the room. He said, can can these free trainings, could they all be taken together in a day and a half in a group setting? I think we want to work through uh, a way that we can do that. And obviously, we want a lot of those folks uh, prepared for what's going to happen at the experience in September. We'd love to, love to have them there with their badges. So what is it? You have to get it up to 60 miles an hour to fit through the door? <laughs> is that how that works? No, this one actually has a door big enough. Remember oh, Cincinnati, okay. we had to park it outside. But uh, fortunately, Caesars Forum has a has a door large enough. It's just we have to get a booth twice the size that we had in Fort Lauderdale. So <laughs> this takes up a lot of room. <laughs> yeah, that thing is a monster. I think we were looking at 10-foot doors and we didn't fit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's he's another thing that people should be you know should should know about Lance here. When you deploy um, in responding to a disaster and you think you know what you're going to do, that's not how it always pans out. And if you uh, you think, oh, I've got this piece of equipment, I've got you know they know me for this. This is what I do in my day to day normal life, and I'm deploying to help because they want me to help with this. And then suddenly, if I'm the incident commander or I'm leading a team, I'll go, hang on, I need guys to go do this. And I've had people say to me in the middle of a disaster, really bad situation, we we didn't come here to do that. I went, yeah, you did. You came here to do whatever <laughs> I told you to do. So we we have, and 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 you can't do that. You you really have to be part of the team. And if if the team leader says I need this to be done, then he's saying it for a reason, and it's and it may not be what you think you deployed for, but it's definitely what needs to be done. And so many people when they deploy, they they you won't see the big picture. You won't see all the moving parts. You won't see everything that's going on. You will fit into a little team or a team somewhere in a certain geographical area, and you'll be told to do this this work as we go through that initial re response as we move into recovery then it becomes a little bit more um a little bit more defined less chaotic and you'll start to then go and do your remediation restoration type work your drying work that will happen but that's not going to happen in the first week or two um with, with a hurricane a flood or a tornado no way in the world right 
Um, and, and so it's really important for people to, to understand that when you deploy, just say yes. Just when they ask you to do something, just say yes, because that means you're coming back. You're going to get invited back and you're going to get paid for it and you're going to get to stay there longer. And you can do really well um, from a business perspective, you know, on these disasters because they're, they're not just hours or days. They last for weeks and months. You know, one of the uh, things that I've seen at a lot of emergency sites that I've been to, uh, the piece of equipment that is probably the most welcome there is what they refer to as the canteen. The food trucks that pull in. So... Yeah, it's it's interesting, um, Lance. That in uh, gosh, was it two thousand and four? I got deployed to Indonesia after the earthquake and the tsunami, and I got deployed for nine weeks. I lost twenty pounds on that deployment, but I remember I lived in a house with twenty six other guys, and we, we we got there on day four after the earthquake and the tsunami had hit Banda Aceh in Indonesia. So one hundred sixty thousand dead, two hundred ten thousand survived, and I found a chicken, and I followed this chicken and it laid an egg. And I came back into this house because we were eating boiled rice at that stage with ketchup and anything else we could find as a condiment to spice it up. We had boiled rice and I had this egg and I fried this egg and I put it on top of my boiled rice. And I've never, ever in my life had to share an egg with 26, 26 other people. But I did. And the point is they wanted to go out and kill the chicken, but I protected that chicken for a number of weeks just so I could collect an egg from it every day. It was, uh, it was pretty special. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that. Well, you know, we've talked about a lot of this high level stuff and, you know, disasters and the type of work and running with chainsaws and stuff like that. But we're talking about remediators, assessors, drying specialists, uh, home inspectors, uh, structural engineers, uh, insurance agents. All of these people belong on this team. They all have a specialty. They all have a reason and a need to be there. And that's really what this is all about. We're trying to coordinate it on our level to work with these bigger entities and to be able to provide help and service. And it does come back, like Gavin says, to help you out with your businesses too. Really, really good point you just made, Lance. Be, have, be able to tell what you do precisely and succinctly. Um, yeah. as, an, as an incident commander, I do not have the time to, with my team, what we're doing, to sit there and listen to someone say, I do this, this, and this. I, I want to know exactly what you do and how you do it, and then you'll, you'll be assigned to go do what you need to do. So it's you know, if you haven't started practicing that, um, you know, if you're asked, in a, you know, let, let, let's just say it's a, a flooding event after a hurricane um, you know, with, with a lot of debris around, and you come up to the incident commander and he'll say, what do you do? You should be able to say, I do this. And now's the time before the disaster to write your, your elevator pitch, write your half a page to be able to, to just say, this is what I do. These are my skill sets, my core competencies. I can do this for you. So the incident commander go, right, go over there and start doing it. Because if you don't do that, you may wind up in the chainsaw division. Oh, look, look, I've, I've had people try to haggle and and, and bribe me and all no you don't do that what do you what can you actually do so i can get on with my my business of running this disaster response and and manage and keep everyone safe and get the job done um and and know that i don't have to you know because you're not going to get a lot of supervision in a disaster response um you're going to be told you've got this this and this and there's that's the job to be done and you're going to get it done this afternoon or today whatever it takes and then tonight, in so you, when you go to disasters, you often have like a seven o'clock in the morning briefing and a seven o'clock in the evening briefing. Um, you know, so you have a, a briefing. This is what we're doing today, everyone. And then, then we have a debrief at seven o'clock at night around dinner time. How did it go? What else do you need? What have you run out of? Do I need to order more to this? Did anyone get hurt today? Um, what else did you find while we're out there? We saw this and this. Okay. And then that night, the senior, the senior sort of decision makers, the managers of the, the disaster, then start sitting down and say, right what's the task list for tomorrow or, or what else have we missed and, and so you know you, you when you go on a disaster that we all, all you know it's it's very common to have a briefing about seven in the morning and about then another one at seven at night you know everything that we've been talking about about ics the incident command system and nims sounds like you know for these major disasters like he's talking about for guam and hurricane sandy and katrina and this and that these systems are used every single day all over this country I mean, it's used internationally too, this program, but every single day, this is used from one and two man operations for coordination of services 
all the way up to the 10,000 firefighters jumping into a fire zone, you know, or bigger. So, you know, everyone that's listening right now, there is a place for you. If you want to be involved, there is a place, there is a skill, there is training and education that we can get for you and get you as part of the team. Yeah, and I, and I think if people are going through these courses for the very first time and they want to get involved, you know, f- have some national pride. The incident command system was made in America. It was made by the forest fires guys back in the 70s. So this is this, this is our system that the world has adopted um, for emergency management disaster response. And so, yeah, we go through and learn that instant command system. We go, wow, damn, that, 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 that was made by us. And we gave that to the world. I go around the world in different countries teaching ICS, as it's known, instant command system, to the rest of the world, knowing that the history, it came from here. And it's something we should be really proud of because it does help with, again, all the C's, the, the, you know, the, the communication, the collaboration, um, the, the, the coordination. Um, so it's it's a system that we really, when you get deployed and you're part of it, it's something you should be proud of. All right. Well, Gavin, I want to thank you for your input and being here with us tonight. Uh, we do have a little bit more that we need to talk about in our private session coming up. So uh, I want to thank everybody that spent the time here, especially on the social media platforms that we're all on. And again, I want to remind everybody, if you want more information, please send a text to, and I'll say the number slowly, 877-251-2296. And in the subject, just type in join space ETF, Environmental Task Force. And we will start sending you some information and uh, help you walk through the process. Gavin, I really appreciate you being here. Everybody in the other platforms, I appreciate that. For our Normie members, if you are watching on one of the social platforms, please go to impact.normie.org now so you can get in for the special announcements that we have coming up shortly. And for the rest of you, please stand by in the room. Everybody else, thank you for attending. And I will be back momentarily with our private feed. Thanks, Lance. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Gavin. Everybody just stand by.